hello everyone. It is good to be with you. It's good to be back. Uh, go ahead and open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 25. We're going to continue in our series through the Gospel of Matthew. If you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, there should be a Bible nearby you. And turn to page 831, 831, Matthew chapter 25. We're going to finish off our little mini-series inside of this study in the Gospel of Matthew, and, and the series concerns end times, right? The life in light of the, of the end. And it's really part of what we call the Olivet Discourse. You know that. It's a, it's a little sort of mini-sermon, a little mini-lecture that, that Jesus gives on the side of the mountain that overlooks the city of Jerusalem. And he's there with a few of his disciples. And, and what he says to them, he wants recorded in the Gospels for us, because he's speaking to us as well. And it concerns what's going to happen on down history's timeline. Even, even from us today, this is stuff that is still to happen, but, but Jesus is telling us what's going to occur in light of the rejection that he's experienced on his first visit. In light of the rejection of his kingship, in light of the rejection of his offer of life in his kingdom, in the kingdom of God. So we're studying that seven-year period in the Olivet Discourse, and it's, it's presented beautifully for you in that little chart that's in your sermon notes and that pops up on the screen, whatever venue you're at. And it's, it's a simple chart, and it's a really helpful one. I mean, as far as end times charts go... Pastor Cody's done a lot of heavy lifting for you there. A lot of the ones I come across are full of numbers and dates and calculations and symbols, and, and you don't know what weighs up and what weighs down. But this was really, really helpful. And it helps you navigate through this wonderful uh, sermon, the Olivet Discourse. Now, today's message deals with just one aspect of what's part of the second coming of Jesus. Several things are going on there. Uh, Matthew records just one section of that second coming, and it's really presented to us as a warning. Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46, are a warning. They function as a warning, and I believe it is very, very, very clear. Some warnings are really, really clear. On Monday, I was leaving the house to go about my business, and my wife handed me a 20% coupon to the hairdresser's. That's a very clear message. Doesn't even have to say anything, just handed it to me and I got the message and I responded to it. Warnings do that. They, they function to give you a heads up on, on what's coming so that you have an opportunity to respond. So that you respond. So that you do something about what is being said, and I'm not very good at responding to warnings. I mean, I responded to that one, but recently I was driving down the road minding my own business when, when the light lit on my car's dashboard. And I did what I think any normal person would do. I just responded with a, huh. <laughs> and then I ignored it and went on in my busy day. And the thing is, the rascal kept popping back up for the next few days. And then after about a week, it, 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 it lit up, and it made a sound, a beeping sound. And again, I did what I think most reasonable people would do. Uh, I, I gave the car a bit of my mind when it gives me such attitude. 
Thank you for your suggestion, but would you please keep it down? I have things to do today. I don't get to hang out with my pals in the parking lot all day like you do. I have things to do, so I ignored it. Now, the messaging escalated in the weeks ahead. The light would come on, the beep would sound, and I actually got an email on my phone about car diagnostics, and then when I turned on the car, there was a message on the dashboard, change oil soon. And I thought, wow, you speak English. This is, this is incredible. You've got to understand that all my cars up until this point have been just one generation up from Fred Flintstone's car. If you don't know who Fred Flintstone is, this car is not very modern. They don't usually speak intelligently. And, and here we have a car that's trying to tell me that there's a problem. And the message, change oil soon, was very, very clear. But I, while I was impressed, I thought it was a little preachy. And so I said, just relax, I'll get you some oil soon, and off I went, because I'm a busy guy. Then the morning came when I got the light, the sound, the email, the message, but this time the message said, change oil soon, 2%. And I knew it wasn't talking about like 2% milk, that's good in milk. I knew that 2% of engine oil level is not a good place to be. And it didn't say panic, but I panicked. I was trying to figure out how I could get that car to the car mechanics before the engine blew up on me. Warnings are, are good. Warnings from car makers are for my benefit, not for my inconvenience. I'm a fool for choosing to ignore all those gracious warnings that were coming my way repeatedly just because I've got stuff that I need to do. Warnings are useful. They're, they're not just to be heard. They're to be heeded. They're an opportunity to respond. And the Olivet Discourse is one big, massive warning that Jesus sounds to anybody who reads it. And that's us in the last few weeks, and that's you this morning. In fact, in the previous chapter, Jesus said, See, I am telling you these things ahead of time so that you respond, so that you don't ignore it. Well, our, our passage this morning presents a gracious warning of coming judgment. It's of coming judgment so that we do something about it today, so that we're nowhere near the wrong side of, of any of the judgments that God is going to pour out on mankind in history, so that we don't ignore it and go off into our day-to-day -day dreaming about, I don't know, nachos and cheese and, and watching some football. This is too important to ignore. So let me walk you through what's there and, and then leave you with a thought to take into your week. And we start with a, with a description of Jesus' second coming. It's on your chart there. And it's, it's a just visitation. That's, that's what I've entitled this little section. It's a just visitation. The word visitation is used in the Scriptures to describe God's uh, appearances on, on planet Earth. He, he visits planet Earth repeatedly, and he, Jesus Christ is returning. And His return is going to be a just visitation. It's, it's a fair, a proper, a righteous return. It's how he should return in light of who he really is. 
The Scriptures repeatedly make mention of this elsewhere, but in verse 31 here in in Matthew 25, it says this, and there's three things I, I want you to catch here. Look at verse 31 with me. When the Son of Man comes, that's when Jesus comes, when He returns, in, number one, His glory, and number two, with all the angels with Him, and number three, to sit on His glorious throne. In His coming, in His next visit, Jesus is going to return with a full display of His greatness. He's going to come with with an entourage of millions and millions of angelic beings. And He's not coming to sit on the mountainside and and deliver a few lectures to a few random, you know, followers. He's coming to enter into that city that has just rejected Him, to sit on the throne that is His, and to judge For he is the rightful king, not just of Jerusalem and Israel, but of all of humanity and all of history. That's how his next visit is going to be like. This isn't a a humble backdoor visit or entrance like his first visit to an insignificant couple in an insignificant little backwater town, Bethlehem in an insignificant little country in in the grand scheme of things back then, to to be met by a few bleeding sheep and, and smelly shepherds. That's not what it's going to be like in his second visit. His first visit was was one in which he veiled his glory and came alone. It was a humble entrance into human history and into planet Earth to invite us to follow Him His way out of love, not, not out of compulsion, not out of fear in light of who He really is, some sort of forced submission. That's not what it's going to be like in this second coming. In fact, other passages open verse 31 up for us a little bit more beautifully. Like Revelation 19, you don't need to turn there, but I do want you to listen up to what I'm going to read to you concerning this same event Revelation 19, verse 11 says this, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges, and he makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. What that means that he he burns through to see everything that is before him. He sees accurately. And on his head are many diadems. He's full of authority. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. The armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, to judge, to speak accurately. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty, and on His robe and on His thigh, He has a name that's written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is returning. Not not as Redeemer to offer salvation. When that occurs, the offer of salvation is up. He's returning as the triumphant warrior king 
robed in glory, accompanied by the armies of heaven in order to enact just judgment to rule. So if you're tracking with me, verse 31 is quite a verse. Sit in that this week. Tremble a little. Not not in fear if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, but, but tremble a little bit in awe. Jesus is your buddy, but he is also the warrior triumphant king. Unless you don't know him personally as Savior, then you should fear a little bit in fear, in fright, in light of what's going to be said in the following few verses. So, this is a just visitation, and it's followed up with with a just separation, a fair and a proper and a right sifting between those who are His and those who are not His who are alive at that time. Look at verses 32 and 33 with me. Verse 32 says, Before Him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. All all people who are alive at that time, who survived the brutal events of that seven-year period, will come before the Lord Jesus Christ. All nations, Germans, the Dutch, the French, the Americans, the Texans, the Northern Irish will come before him. And and while all humans look alike, they will not look alike to him on that day. The eyes of the warrior king and judge who, who, who can penetrate and see what's really there will we'll make a distinction between those who have rejected him and those who have received him. And so an, the analogy of a shepherd reemerges in the Scriptures here. It's an analogy that runs right through Scriptures. And it reemerges here. Jesus is presented as a shepherd who separates out sheep from goats. Now, I don't know what your thoughts on sheep and goats are, but but they're not very flattering animals. But human history, in human history, humans have not been very flattering creatures. And so we're referred to as either goats or sheep. And and this is a just sifting. This is a just separation. We understand his right to, 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 to separate according to his own criteria. In fact, that principle is alive and way in our lives all the time. We constantly sift. There's some people that I will allow to live in my home, and there's some people I will not allow to live in my home, and that's my prerogative. In fact, this week I saw a beautiful example of of appropriate sifting. It was Halloween night, and my little uh, warrior uh, Halloween candy uh, soldiers were out, and I'm not for a lot of the nonsense that goes on Halloween night, but one of the things that I think is genius is candy like available for free to stock up. And my little Halloween candy warriors went out and they plundered and they came back with their spoils. And they, they threw it all onto the kitchen table. And then they began to sift. 
They began to sift what they, they wanted and what they did not want, and it was an important sifting between, the, in my opinion, the rubbish chocolates like Hershey's over in the left, and then the delicious chocolates and candies like, like Twix bars over in the right. An important sifting occurred that my little warrior kings understood, and it was based according to flavor. And they had every right to sift according to that criteria. On the left, Hershey's, we don't like that. On the right, Twix's, we do like that. My point is that we're okay with sifting. We're okay with classifying and separating things out, not according to the desires or to the concepts of fairness of the Hershey bar and the Twix bar, but according to the warrior candy plunderers. On that day, Jesus will enact a just separation, a just sifting, a fair and proper and right sifting between those who are His and those who are not His, according to His criterion, not yours and not mine. And we sang about it a few moments ago, that we do not negotiate with the Creator of all things. And so His just visitation is followed by a, a just sifting, and that leads into a just evaluation. We, we read about what this criteria is. It's set by God, and it's fair, and it's proper, and it's right. What follows in verses 34 all the way through to 40, 45 is a dialogue, essentially, a dialogue between Jesus and the sheep, and then a dialogue with Jesus and the goats that are on his left. We start with Jesus and the sheep, verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Enter into what I had prepared for you all along. It's been my plan all along that your existence occur in this wonderful kingdom. Enter into it because you're my sheep. Verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me food. And I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. And I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. And I was naked, and you clothed me. And I was sick, and you visited me. And I was in prison, and you came to me. Now, this causes a little bit of confusion among the sheep, because look at their response, verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you, stranger, and welcome you, or, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Their confusion is understandable. Jesus, Jesus won't be around those seven years physically. They, they, they didn't see Him, just like we don't see Him. They did feed, and they did give people drink, and they did welcome strangers, and they did clothe the naked, and they did visit the sick and the imprisoned. So they did do all those beautiful acts of compassion. They're not saying, we didn't do that, Jesus. What are you talking about? Their confusion is, we didn't know that we were doing it to you. You see, Jesus sees better 
Jesus sees differently. Jesus sees more fully. Jesus sees invasively beyond the external acts into the inner dispositions and motivations of the heart. Look at verse 40, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Here's what he's saying, in those brutal days, there's going to be a group of people, and you can read about this in the book of Revelation. The church will be raptured. All believers will be gone. But there's a, there's a group of, of Jews who are going to believe that Jesus Christ was, in fact, their Messiah. And they're going to proclaim the gospel. But they're not going to bow the knee to the beast. And so it's going to be very, very difficult for them to function in regular life. They're going to be severely persecuted. But others are going to come to Christ. And those others who come to Christ, these Gentile believers, because of their love for God, will minister to these preachers, pastors, proclaimers of the gospel. They will minister compassionately to them. They will live out their faith in the world with a heart of compassion that proves outwardly what resides inside of them. So Jesus is saying, you didn't think you did all that to me, but I saw that all of that was for me. It was for me. Jesus takes personally how you treat people, how they will treat his people, especially his servants. So their works of compassion are seen by Jesus as tangible expressions of their faith. This is in keeping with what Pastor Cody said last week. Faith that saves is a faith that serves. Jesus is seeing that faith through their works of faith. But then Jesus turns his attention toward those who are on his left, the goats. Look at verses 41 all the way down to verse 45. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, they're a bit confused also, the goats. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? We didn't see you on planet earth to ignore you. Verse 45, then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Their lack of expression of compassion toward even the least of God's messengers during that era was proof that they were not part of God's people through faith. No compassion is a symptom of, of no conversion. Think about that for a second. No compassion for the people around you is a symptom of no conversion. They had no interest in God's work, and they had no interest in God's workers. There's a lot going on in there, but the, the general point that I want you to catch this morning is that there's a clear admission criterion into the kingdom of God according to King Jesus. 
It's, it's very, very clear. It's, in fact, the same criterion for entrance into his kingdom then as it is today, as it always has been. And the admission criterion is not unfair, and it's not wrong, and it's not to be approved by you and by me. The Hershey bar doesn't get to tell my kids that they should be accepted into their, their stockpile. God sets the criterion. But here's what's beautiful. God wants us there. God wants you there. And He has acted to make that possible. And the criterion is clearly articulated all the way through Scriptures. It's repeatedly echoed in this pulpit every week, and we often sing about it. Genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe, and you shall be saved. Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10 are, are classic texts in the Scripture because they, Paul in there articulates it so well. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this salvation is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. But here's the thing. Those who are His workmanship, those who have received His gift of salvation by faith, who have been created in Christ Jesus, verse 10 tells us, have been created for good works, which God has prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So let me be very, very clear. This isn't faith in Jesus plus your good works that saves you. It's only faith in Jesus. But those who have received Jesus by faith express it through a life of obedience and devotion and loyalty according to what God has said. They work for God. And in Matthew 25, in the words of Jesus here, we learn that Jesus actually sees the genuineness of your faith through the way you treat those around you through your acts of compassion. So the admission criterion in the kingdom of God is like what the church reformers have been proclaiming many, many hundreds of years from here. It's that you're saved by faith alone in Christ alone, but faith that saves never comes alone. Saving faith serves. It, it, it finds ways out of your life to, 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 to devote and express love to God. So this is a just evaluation, but it will also result in being sent to a very just destination. Whether you like it or not, the, there are two destinations that are set before all of mankind, and they're fair and proper and right. Look at verse 46. And these, the goats he's referring to, will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. It's very clear. Two locations, two destinations, very fair, very proper, very righteous, very just. Eternal life in unimaginable bliss for His sheep in the kingdom of God or eternal separation from God, the God you rejected, eternal punishment uh, for, for the goats. Now, hopefully, what I've said this morning is very, very clear to you. I hope you've picked up on the fact that, that this passage is just. 
It's just. It's just. It's just. God is just, and God will act justly. So how do we respond to this warning today, in the few moments that we have left? How do we live with the end in mind? What should we do? Well, this is extremely important. You see, if you're tracking closely with me, and if you've been tracking closely with this little mini-series, what should be obvious to you is that you're likely not to be in that particular judgment between those sheep and those goats. Right? If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we believe that you're going to be raptured. You're not going to be on planet earth for those seven years. So this applies to those who will be there. But some of you might not be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. And the rapture might occur in the next few moments or in the next few days. And you might survive the seven-year brutal tribulation. And so you might encounter Jesus as warrior king. But that same sifting that's going to occur then is what occurs in the judgment that that speaks of those who get raptured and those who who don't get raptured. It's a sifting that's occurring. And, and, And years on down the line from that, if you study that little chart closely, there's going to be a, a great white throne judgment of God, which is also going to sift those who are His and those who are not. If you do not listen to Jesus' warning and receive him by faith, you're going to be caught on the wrong side of any of these judgments. But the thing is, you don't have to. Because Jesus has been sounding a warning, and it's very, very simple. And this is what I want you to take into your week. It's a simple statement. It's this. Don't be a goat when you can be God's sheep. I can't make it any clearer than that. Don't be a goat when you have the opportunity of being God's sheep. Now, uh, I mean, I, I, I could have said, don't be on the left when you could be on the right. But you see, I think some of you would misinterpret what Jesus is saying there to suit you this week. <laughs> don't be on the left, be on the right. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, don't be a goat because I want you to be my sheep. And if you're God's sheep, if you're a genuine believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, well then show him for goodness sake. Show him your gratitude. Show him your love through, through compassionate living toward those around you. What an opportunity to say to Jesus, I love you. I mean, this is another version of love God and love people. The greatest commandment that Jesus preached just a few chapters back in this very book. If you're God's sheep, you have an opportunity to, 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 to pay God back, not to earn his favor, but as out of love and loyalty to him. You know, one of the things I love about my little uh, Halloween candy warriors is that they're delighted to pay up Halloween candy dad tax. <laughs> they're quite happy to share their plunder with me because they're grateful at what they have. But if you're not God's sheep, if you're a goat, let me be very, very clear. Goat here doesn't mean greatest of all time. You're not the greatest of all time. Goat here, if I may say, stands really for goofiest of all time because you're ignoring Jesus' warning, repeated warning, the light, the sound, the email, the message. 
You're ignoring his invitation into life, eternal life with him. And a just destination is where you're heading and you don't want to be there. His admission criterion is very, very, very clear. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. As you will witness in a few moments when we partake of the Lord's table together, God, because he's just, has to punish sin, but has punished sin on the shoulders of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And because he's taken on our sin, God can be just and his wrath can come upon the Son of God as a judgment for sin, but he can also offer life to those who are found in Christ and receive his forgiveness. It's a genius plan where he maintains his integrity as a just God and yet he offers up life to those who will receive it his way because he's a God of love. In fact, verse 41 in this little incident that we just read here, actually says that that destination of punishment and eternal uh, perdition was not prepared for you. It was prepared for the devil on his own. God does not want you to go to a lost eternity. eternity. You do not have to go there, but you will by your own fault if you keep ignoring his gracious warning this morning. So goats, the manufacturer of life, not the manufacturer of a car, but the manufacturer of life, warns you this morning on, on, on a massive dashboard with the message, change your goat status. Change your goat status. Heed the warning. Don't remain a goat when you can become God's sheep. Let me pray for us. Father, some passages in Scripture can be tough to, to deliver and to hear, and yet they're your gracious warning to us so that we do something about what you're telling us is coming down history's timeline. You want all people to be saved. You want all people to be a part of your sheep and enter into eternal life with you in, in, in the plan for creation that precedes the foundation of the world. I pray if there's somebody who's been listening to this message this morning and doesn't know you is a goat, that they'll be aware of their goat status and that they'll heed the warning and respond to your gracious invitation into life through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Pursue them this week. Help them see your love in Christ. I pray that they will reach out to you, and then that they will reach out to the church or somebody that they know that knows you to get a little bit of help. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your warning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.